Sounds like there's going to be plenty of twang in the new year if Whitehorse have anything to say about it. Whitehorse is the Canadian couple Melissa McClelland and Luke Doucette, and their new album, I'm Not Crying, You're Crying, is due out on January 13th. Here they are now in Winnipeg, Canada, to give us some insight on the new record. It's called I'm Not Crying, You're Crying, and it was written uh, at the very beginning of the, the pandemic, and so we've just been kind of sitting on it, and we, we started playing some of the songs live, but yeah, it, it officially comes out in January. Okay, I've had a, I've had a good listen to it, and I know there's a, a video of uh, the first track, If the Loneliness Don't Kill Me, so it would make sense to talk about that one first. What can, what can you tell me about the song? I've been looking for you, stranger. I've been looking for you, friend. I've been wandering the streets in my dreams again. I've been breathing in the same air. I'll be breathing out and still. If the loneliness don't kill me, then the good times surely will. You know, we were, we've been, you know, pretty much on the road full time our whole adult lives. And, you know, so when we went into lockdown, it was a, a drastic change of pace for us. And, uh, you know, we knew that we wanted to start working on another record. And, uh, you know, John Prine had just passed away from COVID and that hit pretty hard. And, uh, you know, Luke right. started diving into all this country music, uh, mostly 70s country, Graham and Emmy Lou. Um, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, uh, John Prine. Um, I don't know if there's anyone you'd want to add to well, that list. But... I mean, I could go, you know, like for me, like Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson and like the outlaw, the outlaw country sure. stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was just like floating through, through our house at all times. And, uh, and then Luke would stay up late in the kitchen with a bottle of wine and a guitar. And he just started writing, writing, writing all these country songs. And uh, at some point, I kind of looked at him and I'm like, well, I better catch up. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get on it. And, um, you know, this was maybe his way of dealing with the, you know, the change in our, our life. And thematically, there's, right. you know, a lot going on in the songs about lockdown and that, that shift. Um, so the next day I was sitting on our front porch with my guitar and that line, if the loneliness don't kill me, the good times surely will. And uh, the song just kind of grew out of that. So that that was my first contribution to the record. I mean, it was a bit of a, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, it was a bit of a tribute to our recycling bin. <laughs> totally. <laughs> because there was, it was full of wine bottles. And it's like, right. if, if being isolated from other humans isn't, doesn't hit me in, the, the, the wine I'm drinking probably will. Yeah. You know, and that's like, that would be the literal yeah, right. gotcha. iteration <laughs> of that song. Yeah. And as, yeah. And, you know, that, 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 that theme, I mean, the thing about lockdown and the, and the pandemic is that you know classic country themes of loneliness and existential angst like what's 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 the world for right that's that was that my brain was just full of that our brains i think were full of that for for years so it was it was strangely conducive to writing country songs yeah well i was just uh, in nashville for the first i'd gone there for the first time ever a couple of weeks ago for the americana fest and it, yeah, I definitely felt that the, the ghost of John Prine was everywhere there. So he's, he made quite an impression on everyone. And of course, his label seems to be doing very well. So, so what, what is it about John Prine's music and his essence that kind of uh, had such a big effect on you guys? 
I mean, he managed to do a whole bunch of things simultaneously that was like, he, he wrote, I don't know. He, he was funny and not all of us are funny. Right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and he was dirty and like, it's it'd be funny and dirty and also a beautiful poet. Even that alone, like those, that's a, that's a trifecta of, of majesty that we don't, you know, sometimes you have two of those things or sometimes even just one will suffice, but he's, he had a lot, he had a lot going on. There was a lot of, a lot of empathy and sort of pathos in his music. And at the same time, he didn't take himself too seriously. I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, yep. I mean, obviously there are others who seem to have those gifts, but yep. he had a, he was also kind of folksy and approachable in his own way. Like he wasn't, there wasn't, he didn't need to, he didn't seem to take on big airs in order. Like he didn't, I'm a big Tom, we're Tom Waits fans, but Tom Waits just enshrouded himself in, in mystery and, and character, you know, and, he was playing characters, his whole, his, everything about his career was one great big, like, charade, which is fantastic. What a fantastic thing he did. But, then, right. you know, I think John Prine's almost the antithesis where mm. he just, he just seems so sincere and genuine and that, it, yeah. He was also one of the elders of the Americana world. And, you know, we've talked, we've been talking a lot about that genre and, you know, the difference between country music and Americana. Right. And I feel like back then, uh, you know, maybe in the sixties or seventies though, it, it was all one, it was all one genre. And over time that's, it's really separated. And I think it has separated kind of the, the, the true storytellers, uh, the true grit, the, the humor, the, uh, being rough around the edges or um, a little more folksy or, right. um, you know, and I think that is what differentiates Americana from country. And I think maybe John Prine is one of the, right. you know, the, the prime examples of, right. You I mean, know, those things that Melissa is talking about are all luxuries that luxuries that you can afford when you don't, when you're not encumbered by the responsibility of having to follow up your last hit because country mm -hmm. artists have hits. You know, Americana yeah. artists kind of like, well, maybe we do, or maybe we don't, or maybe we used to, you know, like you think right. about, yeah. you know, even Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, and Harris, people that were all pulled into the Americana tent over the years, or blues artists, like some of the greatest blues artists of all time are now widely regarded as part of under the Americana tent. You know, I think Buddy Guy was recently yeah. honored and stuff. So, so yeah, gotcha. that's cool. Like it, 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 on one hand, it's like, isn't that great that it's a big tent finally, and, and that there's a spirit of... Um, community that exists outside of limiting parameters of musical style. Like we well, have to be bluegrass or you have to be like, you know, yep. red dirt country or whatever, you know, whatever it, it, there's yep. room for a lot. It's a, it is a big tent. And I think that's one of the most welcome things about the burgeoning Americana scene is that, is that it's a big tent, but it's also, you know, there, there are jokes to be made there. It's like, well, Americana is just, just country music for people without hits. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Steve Earle had hits. Like that's, had, that's had, had hits. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Earle had hits. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, the first band that I saw at Americana Fest was an English band called the Heavy Heavy. So they they had very little twang going on, but they still kind of fit in somehow. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, now I see you have a song called Division Five, which uh, kind of speaking of John Prine, kind of has a bit of his whimsy about the lyric and all that. Do you care to share a little bit about how that song came about? I went down to Vision 5, local RCMP, to file a missing persons report. Well, they looked me up and down, then their eyes went to the ground. They burst out laughing, and they showed me the door. 
I showed the officer my tears and said I ain't seen her in years And he said, son, do you know where it is she's at? I said, I'm pretty sure I do at least the province and the town But she swears that she ain't never coming back And he said, brother, that's the deal Sometimes it's over and done for real There ain't a goddamn thing the Mounties can I'm not crying. You're crying. It's a really, it's it's. These are classic tales of broken of of loneliness and unrequited love and and, um, you know. And yet here we are, a, a married couple of 16 years. We've been together for for almost 20 years, and so we sort of have to. We, we took on characters ourselves, and we went out into the world with alter egos, with our sort of proverbial masks and capes, and we collected stories. Um, and in this particular story. Um, you know, and I'm not going to divulge how much of it's autobiographical or how much is something I've stolen sure. from other people's lives that I've observed, but nonetheless, um, you know, boy meets girl, things go south. He gets sad. He's so sad, in fact, that he goes into the local police station and he, you know, fills out a, a, a missing persons report, but on himself because he's so lost. And, and what he's not expecting is that one of the cops is a country singer and the cop pulls out a guitar and sings him a country song, basically telling him not to be, not to be so pathetic. And, um, <laughs> and, and then that's all. But, but it was interesting. When I finished that song, I, I, Shauna at our record label, she, I mean, Melissa heard it, she liked it and Shauna loved it too. And, and, uh, but it was an interesting time because it was in the wake, the aftermath of, of George Floyd and and the protests and and the unrest, particularly in America, but not only in America, and uh, and there was at one point I was like, are, am I allowed to write a song that humanizes the police right now? I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. Right, right, right. You know? Yeah. And that we actually had to have that conversation. It was like I'm writing a song. It sort of like paints this cop as a guy who you know who pulls me aside and goes, hey, hey, buddy, you're you're gonna everything's gonna be okay, and he sings my folksy little country song. I mean. There, imagine that something that anodyne could be controversial, but here we are in 2022. We, everything seems to be controversial. Everybody's going to get offended by something it feels like. So you just kind of got to go for it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what were the recording environment like for you for making this record? Were you in a studio? Were you working at home? Did you have a lot of people working with you or is it more isolated than that? Yeah, it was uh, it was in a studio in Toronto that we've worked at uh, a bunch of times, um, but it was really our first uh, outing out of the house. <laughs> like we hadn't been right. anywhere. I think we maybe recorded it for four or five months after the initial lockdown, and lockdown was pretty serious in Toronto. Actually, it was where where you are as well. Um, so, you know, we, we went into the studio and everybody's masked and you have to, you know, do a test yep. and fill out yep. forms and get your temperature taken. And, you know, it was like this strange new world. And especially in the environment of making music where it's so, right. um, I don't know, it's like an exorcism sometimes because you're just like in there like sweat and blood and tears and everybody's putting everything into it. And so it was such a strange environment to walk in. And it just feels like you're kind of like closed off from everyone else. But, you know, once we were in the studio and actually making the music, it just it just felt so great. And we, we had our, our drummer, Johnny, um, and a pedal steel player, um, Burke, Burke, Burke Carroll. 
um, a tr- both right. Toronto guys and good good pals. They and it was it was really just us in the studio, and we we kind of recorded everything live off the floor. Um, and then afterwards, of course, took took more time with with vocals and guitars and that kind of thing. But we wanted we really wanted it to feel like you know making music, especially with this style of of music and playing. It should be as natural as possible. I think. I, I was imagining right, right. that, like, whenever we were getting we were getting songs on our feet, we just arranged them as if we were playing a show. Right. Like, what would we? You know, we kind of arranged the songs the way we like to get ready to play a show, and then we would just play them a bunch, drums and pedal steel live off the floor together, and we would get you know we do five or six passes usually to a click track, so we'd be able to move stuff around. Like, oh, that pedal steel pass was better on that pass. We'll move it over. So we did a little bit of that, but. Um, Ultimately, the point was we wanted this record to sound like four people, five people on stage together. So there's no, there's not, there's no overdubs of percussion or keyboards or lots of backup vocals. Like Melissa and I would each sing our main part together. And I think there's maybe two songs on the record where we, where we snuck in a third vocal, mm-hmm. you know, but we were reluctant because yeah. we was like, well, we want it to sound like this, these people and that's it. And which, which it really mostly does. Right. Yeah. But it was, uh, I think. We sort of imagined ourselves, even though we were in a in a in a downtown studio in Toronto. We kind of imagined, like, what if we were at Big Pink? Right. You know? <laughs> and, and that would be an ideal kind of record. Like, let's just go in with these people into a place in the forest somewhere and spend ten days. And so we basically emulated that, but in a studio downtown. Gotcha. Well, you, you don't think of uh, Toronto as having a lot of country musicians play. I'm I moved to Auckland from Rochester, New York, which is just on the other side of Lake Ontario from from uh, Toronto been there yeah. a few times, but not for country music. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that you can, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. There is surprisingly a lot of country music in, in Toronto. I remember my friend from Hawaii was visiting uh, with her band. And if, so a few of her friends from Hawaii and it was all of them. And I took them out around Toronto. We went to all these little bars. I don't know, like the, some classic bars like the Dakota and, um, communist daughter and right. and they said to me the, at the end of the night they're like wow there's so much country music like what <laughs> they didn't understand and it, it and it really is I mean not I don't think it's it's big in the industry right. in in Toronto and the uh, in the Toronto scene though in the small bars um, the Cameron House and places like that there are always little country bands playing yeah. and all like young people just digging into to country music. Yeah. So it definitely has a place in, in Toronto, surprisingly. You wouldn't think that. I mean, I think that, so there's a, there's a pretty pronounced legacy and it goes all the way back to probably, probably to Gordon Lightfoot or, you know, the, the, the band Gordon Lightfoot. Now sure. I know these are not necessarily country artists per se, but I think when, I, I suspect when you say country, you, you mean what we mean, which is, you know, insurgent or red dirt or no depression or alternative or Americana or, something like that because you're right there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of slick mainstream country coming out of toronto really not at all but to melissa's point at the ground level so it's so much of what you hear coming out of small bars is 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 a bit is telecasters and twangy stuff and 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 roots singer songwriters but but you know you think about the legacy of a band like blue rodeo and the impact that they've had on the, i'm not sure how familiar right. you are probably fairly familiar you were probably uh, vulnerable to the cbc airwaves in rochester so so you know but but um yeah i mean the sky diggers are are, are they, they they loom large over the toronto 
a certain generation of Toronto artists and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of good sort of rootsy sort of, I, I had, I was talking to somebody at backstage at a show. I think he was from New York city and he was like a, he was an, he was like a, I think he was an R and B artist. He's black guy. He was from, I think it was, he was he from, I think he said he was from Brooklyn, but in any case, he said, wow, there's a lot of country music up here. Yeah. And I was like, really? Because I mean, like, I guess kind of, but for an American to come to Toronto, yeah, yeah. you know, and obviously, yeah. you know, if, if he's, if he's in the R and hip hop scene from, from Brooklyn, that's a whole different world. But it's funny, you know, that there, there is this idea that Canada is sort of dripping in, in folk and roots and, and Americana stuff. And There's some of the history and suggests that, that and really reinforces it to band. Yeah, you know, like Neil Young and that whole that whole deal, Joni Mitchell, Katie Lang. Yep. Exactly. Now, uh, speaking of country music, it doesn't get much more country than Patsy Cline, who kind of, I felt the spirit in a, su- a tune called Sanity, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. And... And then I did a little research because I wanted to find out if there really was a Sanity, Tennessee. And it turns out there's a heavy metal band called Sanity, Tennessee. Yeah, you were. I heard. Someone else told us that in an interview and we had no idea. So we got to check them out. It's funny because when when I wrote that song, it I, I, I didn't have Tennessee at the end of that line. It was just a, it's a long way back to right. Sanity. And um I played for Luke and Luke said, mm, it needs to be a place. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And then I, I can't remember. We, we must have thrown around a few ideas, but yeah, Sanity Tennessee is what we landed on. I but, remember at one point, I because I think I came up with the idea of Sanity Tennessee and you jumped on it right away. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I was like, okay, cool. And then later on, I was like, is it cliche that it's in Tennessee? Like, is it a little bit Toronto quasi country artist trying to be legit therefore they drop Tennessee into one of their songs what if it's Ohio and you were like it's not Ohio it's dead <laughs> yeah. against Ohio. Tennessee <laughs> great and but I think the metal I, I love that there's a metal band Kennedy Kennedy as well. gotta... yeah <laughs> well, maybe they should cover our song you guys yeah, could do a bill together I, I think you should you should perform together on the same set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Blow everybody's mind. <laughs> uh, so when the record comes out, what's the plan? What, are you going to hit the road? Or does it feel like things are getting back to normal for you guys? You know, we're going to go back out on the road. The record's going to come out in January. We're going to start touring very soon thereafter. The record's going to go through the roof and sell 30 million records. <laughs> Uh, we're going to become like basically the next um, Florida Georgia line, and right. uh, the rest is history. Like that it's is... just going to go; it's going to explode like crazy. <laughs> sounds about sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, the plan. And all our heroes are going to want to open for us, like Tyler Childers and and Margot Price. They're going to come knocking, and Trey, Trey Burt's going to want to come out and cameo on some songs. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Fantastic. We, we have an excellent solid solid plan. Yeah, I like a good plan. Very good. Well, come down to this part of the world if you ever get a chance. We'd love to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. We actually, we did spend some time. We were in Auckland for, well, we were in New Zealand for a a month or so many years ago when we were getting, because we play, sometimes we play in Sarah McLaughlin's band and we, um, we were getting ready for a global tour that was going to start in New Zealand and Australia. And she just decided let's camp out in Auckland for two weeks and rehearse. So we spent two weeks rehearsing in New Zealand. It was fantastic. And then we did a bunch of shows. But, uh, it's 
So we have been, but we haven't been as white Yeah, it's, and it's been yeah. a long time. Yeah, we got to come back and, and play as well. Right. All righty. Well, good luck with the release. Thanks for spending so much time talking to me. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Marty. Take care. Take Bye. Care.